I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that pits two movies with something in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. On Monday's episode, we were avenging the kidnap of a little girl with Denzel Washington. And today, we're out for revenge for the theft of an automobile and the death of a doggy as Keanu Reeves checks into the Continental in 2014's John Wick. everything. That dog was a final gift from my dying wife. Jonathan, you got out once. You dip so much as a pinky back into this pond, you may find something reaching out to pull you back in. It's personal. Where'd you get that car? What does it matter? It's not what you did, son. It's who you did it to. So which film will be standing atop the pile of bodies of henchmen and which will be buried beneath it? We'll know by the end of this show, so let's get it on. Welcome to Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Brothers. I once saw him kill three men in a bar with a pencil. With a fucking pencil! I'm Alex Zane. <laughs> I'm Chris Tilly. It's getting better. And joining us again this week, we have a very special guest, the host of the award-winning Absolute Radio Breakfast Show, as well as the excellent Doctor Next Door and Dad Pod podcast. Please give a huge round of applause wherever you are for the brilliant Dave Ferry. Hey. Hello, Dave. Thank you. Great to be back. I am currently sitting on a butt bomb, so <laughs> let's get through this, shall we? Uh, OK, before we uh, get started, though, it's time to take a dip into our digital mailbox. You don't want to do it. No. Are we really running that short? I- 
No, I just didn't make a note of it. Oh, okay. Um, we are also running short, so uh, why don't you get on Apple? Uh, tell your friends about us and tell them to go on Apple and give us a little nice review, uh, perhaps a five-star review. That'd be lovely. Um, then Chris can read it out, and there is a review-reading guise of Chris Thrilly. Um, but sadly, this week we're not doing it because he didn't make a note. I think you guys are great. Five hey. stars. Thanks very much, Dave. Right, well, let's get into John Wick instead then. On Monday, I took us through Man on Fire, which means today Chris is being paid a visit by Baba Yaga. We'll have a winner at the end of this show. Is it Man on Fire or John Wick? Chris, take us on a journey. John Wick is the tale of a violent man who gave up that life for good because he fell in love. So that was it. No more murder. Just nights in eating Chinese takeaway with the missus. But it wasn't for good, was it? Because he kept all his weapons, didn't he? And where did he store them? In his bloody basement, right underneath where the pair of them were eating the takeaway. I'm not having that. So John Wick is the story of an assassin who gave up the life for about 30 seconds, then used the death of a dog to kill everyone he meets. For your podcasting pleasure, let's talk John Wick. Lovely. So, Dave, (laughs) when did you first see this goddamn masterpiece? Um, I saw this goddamn masterpiece um, after a big night out, and I got home and I staggered in through the door. We tend to talk about drinking a lot on this <laughs> podcast. If you have a problem, then do seek help. <laughs> Movies and drinking go hand in hand. Yeah, not, not for everybody. No, not um, for everybody. But uh, anyway, I got in and I and it was on and I and I started to watch it. And what I loved about it was I kind of kept zoning out and um, I'd had a couple of bottles of Chablis and I and I dropped some salsa on the sofa and I cleaned it up with my sleeve. And I, and I looked back at the TV and I was still totally going along with the plot. So I just thought this could be the movie for me. <laughs> Around this time of night, yes. uh, when I've been out with my pals, it's not the most complex plot. No, honestly, I went and made like a load of yeah. fajitas. I came back in, <laughs> still knew what was going on. He was um. still in the same gunfight. <laughs> uh. um, but I, but I loved it, and I've I've watched the sequels, and mm. but I haven't seen it since probably around 2016, 17 yeah. kind of time. So it'd been a while, and it was great to revisit it for this. And in fact. First things first, it is much better than I remembered and I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Yeah. Lovely to hear. Um, Alex, we're not going to talk about drinking again, but isn't this one of your drug films? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the first time I watched it... Uh, Maybe you were with me that night. Oh, Dave, Dave, did, Dave didn't know I was round at his. Yeah. Uh, it's like Fight Club. He made the fajitas. Um, I thought it was me. I, I was sitting on the sofa uh, opposite him, uh, watching him clean up salsa with his sleeve and I thought I could help, uh, but I didn't want to miss the gunfight. Uh, and when he came back, he didn't know what the fuck was going on. So I explained to him at length, having paused the movie, the plot, which is why he thinks it's so easy to understand. Because I kept having to go, no, no, you see, they killed his dog. <laughs> That's why he's killing them. Because you remember the dog at the start? That's dead. And Alex is perfectly placed to do that. I didn't realise until his wedding day, when I actually arrived as his best man, that he was going to cosplay Keanu Reeves in John Wick. So, uh, so he's perfectly placed to explain this because I, I look at it and I just think, look, there is a man I love, and there he is mm. with his with his wife. How lovely! And then I just thought, in a second, if something pisses him off, yeah. all of these stuff, right? This this bottle top, this he can have someone's eye out with this. Yeah, Dave hasn't heard this story, so you're going to. It's not the Nettie story, is it? <laughs> Dave doesn't. You've know told it. it three times on this. 
we're podcast. not to Dave. Dave's a new person on the podcast. <laughs> we were, I was once in a club and Keanu Reeves was in the same club and we were dressed identically. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was. I'd walked out, and then like Nettie was looking for a coat, and she couldn't find it. And then she found a coat, and so she was walking out. And she was walking out behind Keanu Reeves, and she was walking out. And he got in the car, and she went to get in the car with him. And I was like, Nettie, what are you doing? And she was like, Oh, and she was like, Sorry, I thought that was you. Mm. And then I sort of did wonder why everyone was taking photographs of you. Yeah, yeah, because you're so much like Keanu yeah, Reeves. Friggin' time. <laughs> it was the it was the black on black on black mm, combo sharp. that you went for. You look very sharp. Uh, yes, very wick. To answer your question, uh, I'm almost, if not already, in double figures on this movie. Mm. It is my mm. go-to movie. Whenever I'm like, oh my god, can I be bothered to actually make a new decision, or can I just go back to something that I love? And it's always the latter. So I've watched John Wick a lot of times mm. with and without wine. Uh, I do remember the first time I seen it. I saw it going. This is just amazing. I will be in love with you for a long time. Mm. Agreed, agreed. I think I was at the world premiere of this one in Austin, Texas. And uh, it was quite a late night screening. Watched it, thoroughly enjoyed it. Had to be up the next morning quite early because I was interviewing Keanu Reeves at a hotel in town. Went to the hotel early, had breakfast there. Accidentally interviewed Alex and that's how this podcast started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, had breakfast there and then I noticed that... On the- <laughs> Do you like John Wick? Yes, of course. I'm, it feels like that's a loaded question, Chris. Yeah, I, li- I like John Wick. We've, we both watched John Wick. Yeah, but what was it like making it? What do you mean making what aspect? Do you mean making something to watch it with do the salsa? You, do, you, do you still talk to Alex Winter? Or, I, mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'd say hello if I saw him. I mean, I've interviewed him before. You worked with Green Screen before. How was it doing... <laughs> Sorry, Chris. What, what, what are your memories of The Matrix? Uh, I remember watching The Matrix and enjoying them. Oh, you did much more than that. I won't hear it. Anyway, I met the directors. It's a boring story. Let's go with the film. Um, no, tell us the story now. Tell no, us the story. I've just told a story for the fourth time on the show. You need to tell No, it's not going to be interesting now. Let's get into the no, film. No, I want to know. They were sitting having breakfast next to me. I told them I'd seen the film and they invited me to join them because I was the first critic they'd met. I, when you see a film, you don't really want to... You want to keep your cards close to your chest before you write your review. But I couldn't help myself. I loved it so much. I was just gushing. I was like, you make such a good film. They were like, really? I was like, yeah, I mean, it's really good. They were like, really? I was like, yeah, it's really good. And so... Um, you met the director. I just don't no, want to get, get in trouble with the DGA. No, there's the, two of them. The DGA only gave one director credit. Chad and David directed this film. Not my problem what it says on the film. They directed it and they introduced themselves as the directors. They're very litigious, the DGA. I can't help you with this. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about the movie. Um, Derek Colstead, I'm going to start with, who wrote the script. He'd done a couple of movies he didn't really care for, but this was a script he really meant. Um... He sent it to his agents. He wrote it quickly. Um, his agent sent it to Keanu Reeves. He loved it. He sent it to the directors, Chad Stahelski and David Leach, who had worked with uh, Keanu Reeves, a double for him on The Matrix, mm. worked with him on a bunch of action films. And everyone liked it. And it flew. He said that in less than a year, they were shooting the movie, which is just unheard of in Hollywood. Scorn. Um, well, I was going to get to that. So there's a great uh, podcast called Script Apart, where Colstead talks about... Uh, writing of this script and it was originally called Scorn as Alex said Um, we mentioned on Monday that um, Creasy is a weird name and a stupid name John Wick would be a weird stupid name if I hadn't realised or heard that um, it's Derek Colstead's granddad's name Mm. His granddad's called John Wick. Hasn't watched the film, doesn't like action. But oh, wow. 
And um, Helen, John's wife, is called Helen. His grandmother was called Helen. And sadly, she passed away before the film came out. Apparently, it was always going to be called Scorn, even when they sort of changed a few things and Keanu got involved. And Keanu just basically loved the name John Wick so much. He was going around going, I'm making this movie called John Wick. And people were like, Scorn, Keanu, Scorn. No, he's like, Colstead like, thought Scorn was a shit name. Really? And he wrote it, yeah. He's, he, on that podcast, he says, what the, what the fuck does that mean? Mm. That, wasn't, that wasn't my title. Um, and so it was a very different script, the original John Wick. Uh, the character was a former military man. He was a former boxer and he was in his early 60s. Mm. Oh. He sort of wrote it with Paul Newman in mind, an older Paul Newman. Like an equaliser kind of vibe. Yeah, a bit more like that. And, and um, his wife had died 15 years ago in the original script. She'd still sent him the dog, but the dog was 15 years old, so it was an old dog. John was an old man. And, and all the people he had to kill in it were really old. <laughs> <laughs> um, and John... Had... It was exactly the same movie, just everyone was over 60. Wow, John Wick meets Cocoon. Now there's a... <laughs> but John had kind of decided, well, the dog's soon going to die. When he dies, I'll die. That was how he'd sort of set it in his mind and then the gangsters kill the dog and that's what pisses him off because that wasn't part of his plan. His plan was to die with the dog, Mm. uh, not have it taken away from him. But when Keanu Reeves got the script, I mean, he's not in his 60s, but he is in his 50s. Yeah, I was going to say. It wouldn't be be beyond the realm of possibility, but, and I think this is a little bit cocky, uh, Colstead said that when Keanu read it, he wanted to play him about 35 years old. And so the dog had to be a puppy. If it was anyone else, you'd be like, no, you can't do that. But Keanu literally, it's getting into the sort of, hmm, what's really going on? Are you like Nicolas Cage? (laughs) Are you immortal? Is there there a painting in your attic that's ageing? And so he then spent a week at Keanu's house uh, working on the script with Keanu and drinking at his bar. He says he said that Keanu. Um, it's what salt. he would have wanted when I first consumed this movie. <laughs> it's yeah. what he wanted. Derek was like, I spilled some salsa on the couch. <laughs> I cleaned it up on my sleeve. Um, he said that Keanu drinks quite a simple, not terribly expensive whiskey. That's his tipple. But he gets sent and given the most incredible booze you can imagine. That was all Derek's for the trip. Oh wow! I mean, it's the dream, isn't it? It's amazing. And it sounds like it was a fun gig as well because Keanu was all about um, removing his own dialogue from the script. So he believed that John was all about an economy of words, economy of effort, economy of movement. Try that in any other (laughs) job in the world. I want to work for you, but it's an economy of effort, economy of words. Try that on The Breakfast Show tomorrow. (laughs) It's my new thing. I've got two words for you, boss man. Keanu Reeves. Now, this is his approach. (laughs) He wanted the role because it gave him lots to do because he could present the human side of the character and then the monster in the, in the second half of the film. And so how he said he played it was he's John at the start and then he becomes John Wick. And that's a very different person in his head. Mm. Um, so the first cut of the film was two hours and 20 minutes long, about the length of Man on Fire. And it was much slower and more moody. Uh, the director said there was a lot more shots of Keanu walking in slow motion because uh, he looks good doing that. He does. He does. Um, but they cut 40 minutes out and they said that it's resulted in a version of the film that has much more mystery. And so rather than telling us about this world, it's alluding to it, which makes it much more interesting. I mean, it gets... 
explained in the sequels. But mm. here, you're not really sure what is going on when we get to the Continental and, and the code words and who these people are. And to be honest, Derek didn't know. He made all that up. He didn't have backstories for everything. And they sort of filled in the blanks as they've gone along. But this was just him chucking stuff in. I remember that first time I watched it, the little gold coins that they used to pay at the Continental. What the fucking Continental is in the first Ooh. place. Yeah. All of this, it was like world building without world building. It's brilliant. Yeah. The other thing about the, the Continental, which I, which I really love, is it almost adds a kind of comic relief to the to the movie there's the that kind of classic like it's, kind of chintzy like lift music and there's the patient you've just had this incredible fight sequence and then you're having to wait patiently in line for the kind of concierge it's, it's, to see it's if quite you... it's quite a broad comedy when we get to the continental and also i mean it, as derek said it, it, he wanted to make a fun comic book movie and so mm. by chucking in what's essentially broad silly humor it sort of undercuts what we're seeing, really, and it makes it for quite a heavy, serious film, especially Ooh. in the first 10 minutes. Mm. All I think of this film is as fun. Yeah, and I'm thrilled that we get more of that hotel in the sequels. I think the sure. third one is kind of pretty much set entirely in there, isn't it? So the one where it comes under attack. Yeah, someone breaks it goes global, though, doesn't it, as well? We go global in that well, one. We don't talk about Parabellum too much. Chris does not like Parabellum. I don't like it. Chris doesn't no, like Parabellum. I think they, I think they lost the thread. The bit with the dogs is fucking great, though, where they both go and attack Halle Berry's dog and his mm. dog. Dogs are good. The dogs are good. Some of the uh, some of the humans aren't so good in that film. Yeah, I mean, I remember really loving two because two's the one where the action is on another level in two. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, the action's on another level. But um, finally, before we get into it, I love the way Colstead uh, describes John. He says Rocky isn't the best fighter, Rambo isn't the best soldier, John McClane isn't the best cop, and John Wick isn't the best assassin. But they have one thing in common: will. That sheer will makes them unstoppable. I think that's a good quote. That's very nice. And you could apply that to Creasy as well on Monday, I think. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point there. Mm, um, Alex, nice. do you have other quotes here that you wanted to drop in or should we get into the movie? No, nothing that we can't talk about as we, as we get yeah. through it. I really want to talk about Vigo a lot. Oh, fucking pencil. We're going to talk about <laughs> Vigo a lot. Great. Um, so let's start at the end because John crashes his car and he's near death. Uh, this is pretty much the ending of the film. He pulls out a video of his wife. It's quite a helpful clip, this, which I hadn't clocked until what was probably my 12th watch this time. She says, what are you doing, John? Um, which means that later in the film, when he pulls out that video, she can sort of speak to him from beyond the grave, saying, what are you doing, John? So he can really question where he's at in life. No. Uh, very clever. He passes out and then there's flashbacks to him falling in love and then the tragedy that befalls his life as his wife falls sick and she dies. And I don't know about you, but I'm really emotionally invested already after five minutes in this man's plight. It's amazing. Bridget Monaghan's the woman who plays his wife and she... Fantastic actress and she's, she's not in it. Barely in it, but yeah. she didn't read the script and she didn't want to know anything about the script because she said it would really help her character, which it, it does because obviously she wouldn't have known. She, I think she says, I'm sure Helen was aware that John had skeletons in his closet, mm -hmm. if not machine guns buried in the basement. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but she didn't want to know any of it because she, you know, she felt it would help the character. So did Helen not know? No, Helen didn't know. That's wow. what she. The, her, her interpretation. When he was it, building that basement, did she not have questions? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a loss of cement. <laughs> yeah, no. So she didn't. She didn't know. Mm. Which, unfortunately, when I read that, I was like, mm, 
I think it would be better if she did know. It feels like mm. he's keeping stuff from her, not being honest with her. Especially as Vigo does say later in the film, you know, you always knew you were lying to yourself that this life would come back. Then he was putting his life in his wife in harm's way in that case. Yeah. Um, I mean, despite being hesitant to talk about any suggestion of changing the pace of this movie because it's one of the things that makes it so great. And within the first 15 minutes of John Wick pretty much everything's happened and then you're just on this journey with him. It's just all kind of laid out swiftly. But I do think it would have been nice to have had a bit more of a backstory. It would have been nice to have seen him with his wife. I even think there should have been a kind of, you know, montage but pedigree chum style of him hanging out with the dog a bit more. <laughs> mm. um, not just there's that nice bit where you, you start to get a sense of it where he wakes him up in the morning, doesn't he? Mm. The dog does and he takes him outside and he gets a little bit of food. Just a little bit more of, of that and a but, little bit more with well, his well, he montage with Helen here is basically a live-action version of the fucking montage in Up. It's like mm. you get a little snippet of the life that was and mm -hmm. then she, like, as in Up, they're out together mm. and she collapses and can't get back up. Just to go back on what I was saying, though, I think that the thing is he probably would have told her, but I think this has happened quite quickly. Has, I think she, he's got together with her and very quickly he's got out of the game after performing the impossible task mm. that Vigo said. So I take that back. I don't think he's been lying to her. I just think he hasn't got round to telling her and then she's fallen ill so quickly. But as Dave says, he receives a dog from his dead wife. Um, I think Keanu nails this scene. The, the director's told him to dial it up to 11, the emotion, and he really goes for it. And I don't know, I'm, I'm welling up thinking about it. It's but... helped by the script where, because his wife gives him the dog and he's got the note from his wife and it's the fact that she calls him her best friend. Like little things like that. You're like, that somehow is more important mm. than like, I'll always love you, or, but you are my best friend. Have you, got, have you got a dog, Dave? No, I haven't. No. No. But you've got a daughter. I've got a daughter, yeah. yeah. I don't think the two are just very different. Really? Well, they really <laughs> put so close to each other in a sense. Alex, Alex would disagree. Alex would disagree. No, Alex. I, know, I know people love their dogs and people love their kids, but, you know, it's, it's like... Alex. You, got, you haven't got a daughter. Have you got a budgie? <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not part of the same sentence, Chris. Alex says it's harder to look after a dog than a child. Have you got child. a daughter? Have I got, you got a TV? <laughs> <laughs> but you've got shoes. You've got right? a toaster. Okay, you'll get what I mean. You, you, know, you, haven't got, you haven't got your firstborn son, but you've got shoes. So let me try and tell you what I'm getting at here. Alex, have, you got, have you got a daughter? <laughs> no. Have you got a dog? Yes, I've got Perfect. a dog. Okay. <laughs> Were your early bonding days with Simon uh, like... Daisy and Very much so. And in many ways, Keanu should be very happy that he doesn't have to deal with that adult dog because they stop being cute and lovely and you can pick them up and look in their eyes and they become fucking shit. Oh, it's they're... exactly like kids, man. Right. Don't you worry about See? that. See, they're exactly the same. <laughs> you were right, Chris. <laughs> Why has no one done this as a parenting podcast before? Uh, but yeah, no, it's... Uh, yeah, I, I, the, the early days are wonderful. I mean, they're terrifying and, you know, they're hard. It's a nice piece of acting by by Keanu Reeves there. It's it's an easy stick to beat him with. And, and that's why I kind of laughed when you said he insisted on having more lines taken out and everything else. But there are moments in this when, you, you know, you buy into exactly what he's all about. And when he is given the, the opportunity to, whether it be grieve or react to having a puppy or interact with, with the you know, the villains... He nails it every time. Yeah, and he is that Clint Eastwood style of actor, though, 100%. where he, he does it with his eyes and his looks. And there's there's a few examples here where they, they are quite surprised at things he does on set that, that we can talk about in, in this role. But um, he goes for a drive and then um, Russian gangsters show up at a petrol station and they want his car. Mm -hmm. Alfie Allen as Yosef. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't like him in this first time I watched it. 
Really? I think it's a good piece of casting. I think it's perfect. I think it works. Mm. I think it works now. I found him annoying. He thinks he's a gangster. He thinks because of his lineage, because of Vigo, he thinks but he's a spoilt fucking brat. He's basically a little rich kid, Mm. but in this case, from a criminal background. Mm. I'm thinking about this. So so Vigo in this film is basically Keith Allen. Yeah, pretty much. It works. Pretty much, it does. <laughs> he killed a man in a bar with a vindaloo. <laughs> <laughs> fucking vindaloo. With a fucking pencil. <laughs> um, it's, yeah. it's, it's about the same accent. I mean, um, which is Russian, which is Cockney, I don't know anymore. You can do the whole cast of Snatch. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, he doesn't sell him his car, so then they show up at his house, uh, they kick the shit out of him, uh, they knock John out and they kill his dog. One very quick thing before we get to this little trick, little trope, little lovely thing. John, just in case you weren't convinced he was a good guy already, friends with blue-collar workers, the security guard on the door at the airstrip there, he gets to race the car, he's like, can I? And it's like, yeah, it's like, that's a little touch where it's like, you know, for all, for whoever he is, he's mates with just your regular guy. Another thing that links this and Man on Fire, which I really liked, is corrupt cops. I love that moment where the police officer's at the door. And he's like, you working again, John? And he yeah. kind of looks behind. He's like, yeah. He's like, okay, John, good night, John. Yeah. Yeah. He's, well, like, it, he's it, like, good night, Tom, or whatever he's yeah. called. Good, but this is a good corrupt cop. You can have good corrupt cops and bad corrupt Just, cops. That, I want to know more about that guy. What's his backstory? He seems lovely. <laughs> it's, it's properly funny, though, isn't it? Like, really funny bit. You know, it's, it's, it lines the mood when you just watch a bunch of murders. Um, but and you... also, as well, very quickly, just uh, to make more comparisons, because I know Alex likes to do this between himself and Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I don't even heard that story about that time him and Nettie were in a club and the guy... Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I've seen one of those clean-up teams come to Alex's house after... It was after your stag do, actually. It was quite amazing seeing them come in. Well, we were the only two people still there, weren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just tidied around us. <laughs> Another bottle of wine. No! All right. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, but like you were saying, the dead dog. That, the, we don't see them kill the dog. No, we hear we, it off camera. I think it's good that we don't see it. I mean, we see him stroking a dead puppy, which is enough. Mm. But I mean, look, you know, it, it, have you ever at this stage in a movie been this invested in the vengeance? I think even more so than Man on Fire. Like, the minute you find out his wife's dead... She gave him this dog. They then killed the dog. You were just, you, literally, you like white-knuckling it, going, get out there and kill everyone. Well, and it's, it's fascinating because every producer turned the script down because they said, well, he's got to, they've got to murder his whole family. It, they couldn't get their head around it wow. just being a dog. Yeah. And, and obviously that's, that. that's the genius of the conceit of the film. And yet that was the thing that got it turned down. It just took someone to have the vision to say, oh, Keanu Reeves, yeah, that, that's enough. But I've often that's more than you, enough. I've often said to you, people underestimate in film. What was the movie? I can't remember what it was. We were talking about a film recently. Blade Runner 2049, there's a dog in Harrison Ford's uh, room. You don't know if it's a replica dog or a real dog. That's besides the point. But they're never clear on whether it dies in an explosion or not. You see it sort of collapse on the ground and they never clear up whether it lives or not. And at the time, I was just like, look, you've really fucked it because so many people will watch that and go, but what about the dog? People Mm. are so invested in the welfare of animals. Like, I would have greenlit this in a heartbeat. Mm. Me too. Mm. Um, Let's take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about Vigo. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And we're back. So the gangsters take the car to Aurelio's garage. I love Aurelio. Oh, my God. He's yep. the star of the piece for me. John Leguizamo, he said, like, that he, I think he had a lot of input into his own costume. And he said, the costume just made me feel like a million dollars. Like, I was so cocky when I was walking around set wearing the costume. And he does look fucking great. In the original script, um, when the car pulls up at the garage, uh, there are two old guys sitting outside and they just see John's car approach. They look at each other and they leave. And there's a couple of moments that got pulled <clears> out of the script. And I like, those are my favourite moments when you're just, you're, you're building the myth of this man based on how people behave when they see or hear. And obviously we've got the best one coming up because in the garage we sort of got flashes between the gangsters being there and John being there. But ultimately Vigo calls Aurelio and says, I heard you struck my son. (laughs) Aurelio responds, because he stole John Wick's car, sir, and killed his dog. And then what does Vigo say, Alex? Oh... (laughs) It's lovely. It's great. It's it's such a great scene. The way it just cuts to the the, him in front of the big city on the phone. A a man, an evil man, a man in control of an empire, a man who does bad things, and just that O is just the perfect piece of script writing, isn't it? It's a little pause before he says it as well. Ah, oh, okay, (laughs) right. Ah, getting it now. He's uh, he's brilliant. Michael Nyquist Mm. as Vigo. Like, so obviously I'd seen him in the... Go with a dragon tattoo. Yeah, and then he had a role as a very much more cucky-cutter kind of villain in Rogue Nation, Mm -hmm. uh, the Mission Impossible movie. Here, you're like, this is what this guy could do. I think it was uh, Stahelski was saying how what he brought to the character, all these quirks and this humour, and especially the scenes that he shares with our... Uh, his lawyer mm. played by Dean Winters he said those are some of the, my favourite moments in the film because they're so funny but like Nyquist is just like he's just brilliant in this role it's just like like against John's like stoicism like all these quirks that mm. he has are just they just play off what our protagonist is so well yeah Colstead said that 
when he would watch this film with audiences that when he said, oh, people would just move forward in their seat, like, oh, <laughs> you know, yourself. Although I'll be honest, I can remember my reaction when I saw that scene for the first time and I have it every time. I piss myself. Mm. It's really, really, it's, fun, it's, it's, it's very funny. funny. Yeah, it, the delivery is so deadpan. Um, Vigo then punches uh, Josef uh, so hard that he vomits. <laughs> he says, it's not what you did, son. It's who you did it to. Yes, it says that nobody says that fucking nobody is John Wick. I don't know why the son hasn't heard of him. I feel like you would have heard it, but maybe the boogeyman, he's kept him behind the scenes. And so we now get some amazing cross-cutting because um, Keanu's digging up his past while Vigo tells the story. So we learn about Baba Yeager, the boogeyman, the fact that he's a man of focus. As Alex said, what do you do with a pencil, Alex? <laughs> he killed three men. <laughs> With a pencil. Oh, it, with it, a fucking pencil. No, it's, it's getting worse it's now. It's getting better. Um, that was the best year. But of course, we, you make, you're making me want to compare the market.com. <laughs> um, but we get to see him do that in John Wick 2, of course. We see the pencil. They show us him mm. doing it. But yeah, we learn he wanted to leave over, over a woman and the deal was do the impossible task, you're out. The bodies he buried that day <laughs> laid line. the foundation of what we are now. Yep. Brilliant line. Cross cut with his buried old life beneath his new life. That It's underneath his house, as I sort of took the piss out of earlier. But it's the fact that he does know deep down that his part is always going to catch up with him and he can't ever escape it. So I think John... it's because, like you say, I think it's because when you've made a deal with people like Vigo and we the devil. understand that. The devil, yeah. Exactly. You, you've made a deal with the devil that they're not going to leave you alone. Yeah. I, I, I presume that he never thought he'd be called back into action and using his skill set for these reasons. Mm. But you imagine... It's not so bad that he's done that. I think that he's a man who knows he's got a very complicated past and I presume he kind of did it all on the sly. Well, just <laughs> do put them in a garage up the street. He was the you don't one put them sent. in a big yellow storage. <laughs> it's got a bazooka and like a million pounds in gold coins. I mean, I see, I see your point, Chris. I somehow feel him fiddling with a combination lock on a metal shutter. <laughs> it's like it's slow motion. <laughs> Bloody thing. Uh, Vigo phones John now, and it's electric. This scene, even though John doesn't speak, um, on the commentary, oh, the, the, the directors say this is Keanu with his non-verbal skills again. Yeah. But yeah, Vigo says to him, "Let us not resort to our baser instincts and handle this like civilized men." What does John do? Hangs up. Yep. Hangs up. And, and it's all building up um, the myth. And this is when we've got all the subtitles here. Mm. It, it's, it's, it might be inspired by um, Man on Fire, but also it's sort of there's a comic book aspect to them. Yeah. They're sort of quite colourful. They're reminding us that we're not in the real world. And they're kind of reminding us that this is a superhero story. This is a superhero we're watching here. Um, so John takes, it, takes a shower, suits up, and then the army arrives and he's ready. And it's 30 minutes in uh, when we get our first kill. And it's a great Worth the weight in gold. This gold coins. This house siege is just. And this is where you just realise that you're watching. Like everything up until now has been great. No denying it. Mm. But it's not until you see the first action sequence and then every action sequence subsequent to this sequence that you realise you're just watching something fundamentally different. And to hear like Stahelski talk about the way they did this and what they wanted to do with the action, it's fascinating because he's like, whenever you know we've worked on movies, you know. A stunt coordinator, a stuntman, and the studio is like, we want it more actiony, faster, faster. Or the director's like, I need to make it, you know, faster. And what they always tend to do is go closer, closer mm. in on the action, so it looks faster because you got fists in, in and out of shot. And he was like, that's not what we want to do. What we wanted to do is pull back and show you everything. Mm. And because Keanu is like a guy who actually, 
you know, they talk at length about how he's this amazing man who will do six months, four months mm. training. He'll be training even when he doesn't have a role to train for, just in case that role comes along mm. and he can just get straight into it. And because that's how I got prep for the pod. <laughs> Me too. Always making notes. You'd just in case. Be, you think it'd be better <laughs> because we both do that. Uh, but you know, this idea that they can show everything and you as the audience yeah. are like, that is Keanu Reeves doing that fucking yeah. move. And they think that your eyes can see it as well. The fact that this is qu it's quite real what he's doing. So he trained with the SEALs and the tactical teams. You always hear this, but it's all very practical. So he's reloading his gun when you would have to reload your gun rather than it being Hollywood version of that. And, and they believe that you can, even an audience that's with an untrained eye can sense that this is this is a more realistic version of how this would go down. The best bit is where he chokes a guy out. So the guy's like clutching his throat, trying to catch his breath. And that gives him just enough time to reload his gun. So as the guy recovers, he shoots him through the head. Fucking genius. He's also not killing them all straight away because the idea is he wants the other men to hear the suffering of the guys Oh wow! as he's going through the house. And that ties in with something where he was described in that original script, which I thought was really interesting. We learn in that script that when he was 15, John Wick faked his age so he could fight in Vietnam, where he got 417 confirmed kills. I think that's too many. But the character specialised in sneaking into enemy territory to fuck with them, which is a really interesting oh, okay. character trait. Right. Because he does do a bit of fucking with the enemy across this trilogy. And so it ends with him forcing a knife into a man with punches. Yeah. I think it's also showing us what it takes to kill someone. <laughs> I've got I wrote, final stabby kill is great. <laughs> <laughs> is that your school book? <laughs> uh, always working. I didn't even know we were doing this podcast. Final stabby kill is great. <laughs> Last week you highlighted a drawing of yourself vomiting, didn't you? That was weird. It's getting worse, Chris. It's getting why did, worse. Why did he highlight it? <laughs> so I would remember. <laughs> <laughs> but will I learn? No, I will remember, yes. <laughs> so um, you got that funny scene with the police that Dave mentioned, and he's no longer John now. He is John Wick. He gets this, the waste disposal in, Charlie. Recognise Charlie, Alex? From yeah, two, two of our yeah favorite David films Patrick him. Kelly yep. from The Warriors yep. and Commando. Yep, and The Crow. Oh, shit, yeah. yeah That's which, not one of our favourite films. That's one of Vicky's. But Chad Stahelski, um, as well as doubling for Keanu Reeves in the Matrix movies, he doubled for Brandon Lee in The Crow. Oh. And so he met him on The Crow. See. That's wow. the connection there. He's handing over the gold coins now. We're, we're, we're sensing this sort of Greek underworld motif that runs under the film that I hadn't picked up the first time I watched it. But luckily, those directors told me that, that over breakfast. That was oh, helpful. Oh, I see. That was helpful. Made my review sound a bit cleverer. Mm. Anything else I missed? <laughs> um, so uh, Vigo puts out a two million dollar contract on uh, John Wick uh, and when in the Continental um, Wick pulling up to the Continental and Keanu coming out of that car looks so cool mm. yes the I love, I love where it's situated on that <clears throat> corner mm. on that curb such a great yeah. building. And it's amazing when you sort of go, that's just New York, but the way they've done it, the, the washed out sort of look that they've mm -hmm. given the film, it, 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 it looks like it's, it could be the future or the past. Like, is it, where, you know, an alternate reality? It's so weird. Yeah, he sees Perkins at the front desk. That was originally a man in the, in the, in the first script, but the, the directors changed that because it was all men in this film. Um, you got Lance Reddick at the hotel manager. Oh. Um, and then oh, Lance. he's great in this. He's I mean, great. but that's a character that they didn't think was going to become such a big part of the of, of the ongoing series. They didn't give him much to do in this film, but it, it worked whatever he did. He came up with the accent and um, uh, they loved it. But then we've got Lovejoy as Winston in a cravat 
drinking a martini. Mm-hmm. Um, calling him Jonathan. Calling him Jonathan. <laughs> Jonathan. Um, uh, Ian McShane. If you dip even a little pinky back into this world, Jonathan. <laughs> the director said that um, Ian McShane showed up with his own wardrobe and props. Brilliant. That's all McShane. <laughs> He's great. It's just it gets you hired quicker. If you've already got all the stuff, it's like a children's entertainer, you know. That's how it works, yeah. <laughs> I've got a costume with me. Brilliant. <laughs> so, Keanu, you've been training with the SAS for the last seven months in preparation for the film. What about you, Ian? You've got a cravat. Okay, fine. Let's let's get the scene on. Here we go, everyone. Places, please. Uh, apparently, the uh, Keanu Reeves, like because uh, obviously Stahelski and Leach, this was their their first feature as directors. They 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 talk about how great Keanu was. They say he basically became head of the acting department, and he sort of like. Uh, introduced, did all the introductions between the actors and diff- people had different ways of doing scenes. He sort of talked to the directors and go, they want to do it like this and sort of mediated to make their first directing gig seamless. Very good. Good um, guy. I thought he's a good guy, yeah. yeah. No, no, he's overstepping it. Um, so, <laughs> next up, uh, John Wick. Where's my fucking director's credit? <laughs> huh? Where's my fucking director's There's credit? already too many directors on this film. We've established that. Uh, next up, John Wick goes night clubbing see what I did there night clubbing oh yeah thank you I love the guy on the door who would be he's just like yeah I'll just let you in and fuck off rather than die (laughs) yeah he tells the doorman to take the night off and he says thank you sir Um, that's your save the cat moment though there's a few in this film but it's it it establishes that he's still got this moral code that that John is only going after who he believes is, is responsible saves the cat can't save the dog so can't save the dog. Um, so this scene, um, obviously, with the the background of the directors, everyone here is their stunt buddies from the last twenty years of working in all the action movies, and that's why it's just the most incredible scene because they are so aware of what these guys are capable of. Just like they're so aware of what Keanu's capable of, having doubled for him for twenty years, they know what physically he can do, what he looks coolest doing, and so that's why this scene just looks. So amazing. But this is where they said that his eyes, Keanu's eyes scared him there, scared them in this scene because he's he's looking around as he's going in the club and they said he, t- he fe- they felt like his eyes turned black and he becomes quite reptilian <laughs> because he's about to go and kill. Wow. I mean, I don't know if Keanu can turn his eyes black, but it looks that way, yeah. the way they describe it. You watch the YouTube videos of him doing all his firearms training for John Wick and... Yeah, it was the, I think the second one, there's one that they released that was just... It's insane. Yeah. He's so good, like, in real life and then he beats himself up because, like, he missed one, like, shot. Right, okay. Like, yeah, fuck that, man. I missed that. And they're like, no, that that was great. That was sort of beyond where you should be. He's the boogeyman, though, here uh, here now. He's in action and he's killing people eye to eye. It all feels quite intimate, the kills here. And I love the song, um, that sort of beautiful female voice juxtaposed with these really graphic kills. Yeah, the guy dies in a short bathrobe as well. We were talking about Batman, Chris and I, yes. and, uh, and how one of the worst ways to go is in a short bathrobe if you're a man. Jack yeah. Palance. Oh, in, of course, and he's in Batman's palace, yeah. yeah. And uh, Also, what are your thoughts on a nightclub with a bath in it? Several baths. Um, I would have to be members only. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. Um I'm not sure why he doesn't kill Joseph here in in the jacuzzi. What's going on? I mean, he's like the greatest hitman ever. Mm. And um, he's got him. Yeah, and he misses three times. Yeah. yeah. But it feels like he doesn't even shoot him, does he? Yeah, he does. Okay. Yeah, he misses. That's, it's, it's, it's movie license. He's got a miss. We can't kill him yet. Sure. Oh, okay, fine. But this is gung fu now. This thing that they created with this gun work combined with jujitsu. Um, that happens in the VIP area, and it's um it's brutal here. So the security guards are in red. Yeah, 
so we know who to kill. But you know that the, the star it's because of the Star Trek red shirt theory. You know, whenever they go to a planet and there's some extra who comes with them and gets killed, yeah. they're always in a red You're uniform. Gone. Of course. And so this is their homage to the red shirts really? of Star Trek. I yeah. watched it. I was Very like, nice. it's just coincidence. I didn't realise it was an extra. No, well, homage. I mean, it's also the colour that stands out the most in the dark so that we know who yeah. we want him to kill. And like... there's also that homage where that giant kind of lizard man comes out. <laughs> <from the planet. laughs> Hits him with a stick. Uh, I like the guy who he kills upstairs because you notice him earlier because he's that guy who's got the the big beard mm. uh, and he's but he's twirling his moustache as well and what I think it's that weird thing where you go yeah you're sort of like you know you're a hired like um henchman kind of like killer but you're one of the upper echelons once he gets past the red shirts he goes to the guys who are suited and booted upstairs in the nightclub and you're like this guy is probably one of the best he's next level up but he cares about his appearance a bit too much because of the twirling of the moustache and it turns out it's the beard that gets him fucking killed in the end because it's not practical in a fight with John Wick and so actually his vanity is mm. what undid him hoisted by his own petard <laughs> is that right? yeah um, a, bit, a petard is a kind of beard yeah and the next guy <laughs> uh, the sort of final guy in this scene who he doesn't kill and comes back the you know quite good looking big guy uh, he's called Kirill in the film he's played by an actor called Daniel Bernhardt you're like this, Al. Yeah. He fought Keanu. He was Agent Johnson in Matrix Reloaded. Oh, yes, he was. And so he's back for more. So it's just the two of them going at it again. It's all their mates. But oh like, God. I think that's what makes it work so well. They've got this history. And so they just so kick the, the shit one, out of each other. He's the one who jumps on the car at the, and the highway chase at the end, I think. I recognise him now. Yeah, good. And he's not the only connection because John Wick now needs the doctor. He goes to an actor called uh, Randall Duck Kim as the doctor. He's the key maker from the Matrix. Yeah, I know. Of course I he that. is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. All yeah. the mates. Wow, love all the mates. If you're still working, take these. The stitches will tear and you'll bleed, but you'll have full motion. Yeah, it's so, it's so matter of fact. Yep. That's what this world is. Um, so we haven't mentioned Marcus yet. I haven't played by Willem Dafoe, who is this sort of mentor father figure to John, who's agreed to, to take the two million to kill him, or we think he has anyway. Um, he arrives at the Continental with a bolt action rifle and then he misses him. Uh, which seems strange at the time, but we're busy watching this martial arts fight between Perkins and John Wick, which is one of the best fights in the film. Um, the directors, their passion is martial arts, and they chucked every martial art that they know in this scene. And it's brutal, <laughs> isn't it? Like, Perkins is, is good. Yeah, she's good. But he knocks but her she's up. broken the rules of the Continental. Yes. She'll pay for that. Yes, and we'll get to the, the, these rules and how much they matter. But he knocks her out um, after she sends him to, to the, the Russian's bank under a church in little Russia. Oh, and what is this? This was like the thing we were talking about the other day. You know a hero. You know a hero in a movie where money doesn't matter to them. We were watching Cliffhanger the other day. Yeah. And obviously, mm-hmm. he's still alone. He burns all the money just to keep warm. The money just means fuck all to him. <laughs> yeah. It's about vengeance <laughs> in that movie. It's about getting the bad guys in here like that. John, all that money. And again, Man and Fire, where they take out the oil drum and there's just loads of cash in there. Yep. Take the money, please take the money. Yep. And he's a good guy because he lets the receptionist go. Those women are allowed to run out. But um, it's it's all part of this world building as well. The fact that the, it, it, this church is the Russians and their money hiding in plain sight, just like everything else in this film. The, the Continental and the world of these assassins is all around us. We just can't see it. So, yeah, uh, he sets fire to all the money. We get him walking away from the explosion. Yeah. Love it. There's sort of a, a, a... He gets captured when there's sort of a, a scene with cars. It's a car fight. 
yeah, in a car yeah, park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, flipping around and, and he gets caught. And it's all a bit Bond villain here, I think. Of course it is. You I've, know, I've written it down. If you've just caught John Wick, yes. you don't then tie him up for a don't monologue. Don't mess around. You put a bullet in his head and end it yeah. there and then. Yeah, I mean, they're playing with the tropes, but you're exactly right. Um, why is Vigo having a chat with him? Um, rather than take him But out. it gives us more Vigo, so that kind of... It does. And their, their, their face-off where he's like, step aside, give me your son. <laughs> give me your son. And it's, but it's fun to learn... Hand over your son or die screaming alongside him. And as it, we've established, sons, dogs, shoes, it's all the it's same thing. exactly the same give principle. Give pizza or die screaming. <laughs> um, but it's fun to learn as well that it wasn't just money, it was their leverage on the city in the vault. He had blackmail on everyone that was priceless and worth, worth more than the money. So, yeah, he... He's really taken apart piece by piece. We are cursed, you and I, he says. And, and as you say, that's what he responds with, um, give me your son. And this is John explaining why it wasn't just a dog. I mean, we don't need him to explain this, but it's nice to hear it. Yeah. That the, the dog gave him some semblance of hope and you've stolen that from me. And the people keep asking if I'm back. Mm. And I'm starting to think... Yeah, I'm, I'm back. back. It's fucking great. And just when we think it's all over for John, Marcus takes them out because Marcus was on his side and I've chucked my pen. I'm at, so excited. At me, at me, with a fucking pencil. <laughs> <laughs> I love how method you are when you're talking about movies, Chris. I've got I the lid it. as well. You want the lid? <laughs> um, so John gets to Vigo here. And he makes a deal with him. He, he, he's going to pull the contract in exchange for giving him Josef. Yeah, this is great. I mean, this is great because you, Vigo's left at this point. Vigo thinks, yeah, I've done that. John Wick is being killed somewhere. And mm-hmm. um, in the time it's taken Vigo to basically drive around the block, John Wick is out, has run <laughs> through the yard and has ended up on the bonnet of Vigo's car. And you're like, fucking hell. It's like that's when he becomes this unstoppable force. It's yeah. not like, oh, he survived this and there'll be another scene later where he finds Vigo and Vigo didn't realise and all of that. It's like in the same scene. It's just a continuation of the same scene. Yeah, he was described in that early script as like the Terminator, really. One of the versions of it, um, Colstead says, John Wick never slows, he never misses, and he will not stop. Yeah. That's the Terminator. Um, it's good, though. He makes Vigo choose. He basically says, it's choose between your own life or your son's. Yeah. And Vigo chooses his own life yeah. rather yeah. than his son's. Because yeah. his son's a little shit. Yeah. Uh, but, but... What do you do when your son is being killed somewhere? Have buy some blunt, shoes. Have a big, have a joint. <laughs> no, but 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 before that, he um he also agrees to pull the contract on John. Yes. That's very important for what's coming. But yeah, we get this montage. Well, he says they know you're coming, and John Wick says, "Of course, but it Doesn't won't matter." matter yeah. And then we get the montage. So John's on the move. He's killing people. Cross cut with Josef playing video games and killing people. Crossed with Vigo getting stoned. Yeah. I think that's what I do in this situation. Get stoned. Yeah, knowing that. But you don't smoke weed anyway. You, no. be, you feel really I sick. Got, I always think it's the most. <laughs> I ridiculous. already felt sick. My I, son's being murdered, got, and I now just, I feel really. I sick. I just got back from Amsterdam. Okay, and um, yeah, if your son's being killed. I think I'd get stoned. I, I don't. I can't really comment too much, but I, I've spoken you to Alex what? about this before. <laughs> okay. But in, in, in Halloween, right, when Jamie Lee Curtis and her friends are first getting stalked, right, yeah. she has a joint. It's like, well, you don't want to be stoned now. You know that there's a maniac sure. after you. No, and I agree with your you principle there. The pra- it's not like he's going to go skipping off listening to Abbey Road by the Beatles and eat some Skittles. It's just, you know, I'm a host of with loose. you, but it's Vigo we're talking about here. So Vigo knows the game's up now. He, he's getting stoned. Oh, and Vigo's while bad to the bones. While so. his son's being killed and he's getting stoned because it's the only way he can possibly cope with it. And he doesn't stop. He asks for more later. 
Does he? Does well, he it? asked for a oh. cigarette, but I'm wondering if it's a special cigarette. Yeah. When he's in the car. But anyway, John. You definitely don't smoke. <laughs> John. <Special> cigarette. <laughs> very simply, I definitely don't smoke. Very simply. He's got very strong feelings about smoking. Don't get him started. <laughs> don't get him started. Why are you doing that? It's disgusting. You had to, it makes me upset to see you do that. No, I just want you to be healthy. Thanks. Um, he shoots Joseph, Joseph, uh, very matter of factly. Yeah, it's great. I think this is great. There's, there's no sort of like, doesn't want to torture him, doesn't want to hear him no. speak. No interest in Shoot, that. Shoots no, from, no sadism, I think, is the thing. It's all one shot as well. He shoots him from a distance and then we see him walking towards Joseph um, and he gets to him and Joseph turns to him and says it was just a fucking bang, mm. headshot before he can even say dog. Perfect, yep. but also pulls the rug from under you because this was the point of the film and we're still in the second act. And arguably, this is where John Wick starts sure. to come off the rails slightly because I'm a bit a bit foggy about what happens now. Sure. And Do you want to take I, me through I'll it? I'll dig into it a little bit. But so um, Vigo knows that John's killed his son. He yeah. just knows because he's given him. So he says, make the arrangements. So this is now Vigo going back on the deal he's made with John to pull the contract. No. I yes. don't think so. Okay. I, I think this is Vigo saying, make the arrangements. I've lost my leverage in this city. He's killed my son. I'm ready to, to go now. I'm, okay. ready, I'm ready to get my helicopter out of here. And it's only Perkins who tells him that Marcus didn't kill John when yep. he had the chance that makes him go, actually, before I go, I'm going to fucking kill Marcus yeah. because he did, he, he, you know, he didn't do what I paid him to do when he could have done it and my son would be alive. Yep. So I think when he's like, make the arrangements, he's ready to go. Fair enough. And it's yeah, new yeah. information that makes him stay. Yeah. Huh? But it is this weird structure because for an action film, there was no big open like you would expect from a Bond or a Mission Impossible. Yeah. And then we've killed off our antagonist in the, in, in the second act. In the original script, he does kill Vigo first and Joseph last. Um, but they changed that around because they wanted to make it different and unique to what you'd expect from an action film. And they wanted to tie it in with the rules. Um, as they said, Vigo could have walked away, but then felt for Well, th this is how Colson put it. He feels forced to avenge his son. So he's, what, my he's, question forced, is, do, he's forced to avenge his son by doing what? By killing Marcus. Because what he does here is he's going to leave and then he gets the information from Perkins that Marcus didn't kill John when he had the chance. Mm. So he then goes and kills Marcus. And but so after he kills Marcus, then he's trying to leave the city. And it's John. Like, this is the question mark. The question mark is, did Vigo not anticipate John caring that much about Marcus that he would come back to finish him off? Yeah. Yes, possibly. What do you think, Dave? Um, I am going to go with what you guys are saying. I'm 100%. I can't, I'm so sorry. I, yes. Or did John get back quicker? Or did Vigo know that John was going to come back and look for him and John just got back quicker than he expected and Vigo would plan to be on his helicopter out of there by that point? I'm so, it doesn't really make sense for John to go to Marcus's house when he knows that Marcus is dead by that point. Mm. It seems like the, the, the worst place for him to go. But I think it's good that Vigo kills Marcus because I think we like Vigo too much at this point. Mm, um, yeah. Because he is just trying to protect his son and he's a pretty good, funny bloke. He's a wildly so, lovable bad guy. Yes. And so when this he, is the first time in the movie where I've had questions, everything has made sense to me. It's sort of lean, like, let's do, you know, I get everything. It's action, it's beauty, it's Joseph, it's Vigo. And then here it sort of gets a. It's the only time it gets murky. So when he kills Marcus, that's when you want Vigo dead because. We really like Marcus. Yeah. Marcus was a good dude. Yeah. Um, Perkins gets the call to head to Central Park. Um, her 
Continental membership has been revoked for what she's done on Continental grounds, and then they all shoot her at the same time. Very dangerous, because you're actually standing opposite someone in that circle, mm. so if you miss, you hit the guy behind. <laughs> <laughs> makes it exciting, though. It makes it exciting. Think about the geometry of these things, people. <laughs> but it's also... Shall we stand in a line and, and fire? Or maybe just all... You go there, though, yep. right? I'm yep. going to... Don't stand opposite me. What if she leans? <laughs> Don't undermine the cool stuff. <laughs> it's cool. It's very but, cool. And also, we hate Perkins now because she, of what she's done to Marcus. And she killed uh, the bloke from The Wire in the hotel as well. So yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. she deserves to die. Yeah. So it's, that's a hell yeah moment. And so um, we get this finale in the harbour that's kind of like a demolition derby with the cars. Um, that's because they couldn't afford to do anything more than that. They wanted to have a big, crowded, expensive finale but they just didn't have the budget so this again is sort of the characters using the cars as weapons Mm. um which is kind of what they've been doing throughout this film and so we get to the finale so it's just you and me john one-on-one um vigo has a knife um i like the way john lets himself get stabbed in the stomach um so he can break his arm and then get the knife back and stab him back to death yeah, because um, they've got to come up with something. It's a risky Vig- strategy. <laughs> yeah, but Vigo is not the most um, physically imposing villain for the film to end on and for John to fight. He says, "I'll be seeing you" as he's dying. That's a callback, something that got dropped from the script. Because is it they- about them both going to hell for what they've done? Do you think God will forgive us for what we've done? Oh, yeah. No, it's a callback to what you were saying, Dave. That there was more stuff with the wife initially. And you saw sort of him at her deathbed and you saw her die and she says, I'll be seeing you, John. And so it was kind of going to be a callback. Oh, but, um, OK. But well, it's fine. Vigo there as well. That seems weird. <laughs> <laughs> the, the guy who I stopped working for has just arrived. Darling. Do you mind if he stands over us uh, while you say your last word? <laughs> you did remember to bury everything in the basement, didn't you, John? Right, I'll leave you to it. And we're back to the oh. open where uh, John was down and now he's getting up. He breaks into the animal hospital where he finds medical supplies and a pit bull puppy. Oh, of course he does. Apparently, yeah. if you look closely, the dog he picks is going to be destroyed the I next made day. sure because I was like that could be someone's fucking dog <laughs> I've just got on holiday <laughs> yeah. to Tenerife for a week like it's put in kennels it's, and it's they more go, important go, than a child <laughs> your dog's gone I'm afraid someone's broken <laughs> he's and taking your it. shoes as well yeah you do, I, they make it very clear that's, oh, that's why good. it's good yeah they join all hmm. the dots here he sees a reflection of himself in that dog and John's getting a second chance so he gives the dog a second chance and it ends with him walking away with the dog yeah and that's it um, Chris, I, uh, this is unprofessional of me to say, but I just want to... Yeah. Well done, mate. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. that was a tour de force. I felt like I was watching <laughs> John Wick. I, I mean, uh, I've, I've contributed literally nothing to this edition of the podcast. I've just been sat here in awe. That was just marvellous. I'm going to get emotional. I've waited three it, it years to do this. Yeah. Honestly, as soon as the fight scene started in the club, I was out. I was just watching <laughs> you every moment, right until he gets the dog at uh, the end. What the listeners can't see is I was doing all the actions as well, wasn't it? <laughs> it was like Alan Partridge. <laughs> Stop getting Bond wrong. Um, but I think it's amazing Woo. that such a simple, straightforward tale Jeez. has now spawned this universe that keeps growing and we've got four, five and six being made and oh, we've really? got a spin-off TV series happening. The and Continental, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's quite incredible that it was all from this... As I say, it's it couldn't be more simple, yeah. really. So that's it. Should we do the bits and pieces? Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Berry, what's your favourite scene? Um, well, obviously, we, we've touched on that incredible bit where we get we get the cutaway and we get the O bit. Mm-hmm. We love that. We've established that we love Aurelio and that, you know, he chose his own costume and stuff, which I really like. But there's a tiny little moment and where we, we talked about Keanu Reeves not doing a great deal of acting uh, as such, mm. but when he is leaned on, you know, to do to bring us those moments, he really does. And there's a bit where he first goes to see uh, Aurelio in the chop shop 
and he puts two tumblers on the bonnet of the car and he kind of pours himself a drink and he kind of pours John a drink. And there's just this moment between the two of them and it's all in uh, Keanu's eyes where he looks at it and they're kind of like, oh, you think I'm going to need a drink? And Aurelio's like, you're going to need a drink. And there's just mm. this kind of moment of like, I'm about to tell you what's, what's happened here and why your car's yeah, no yeah, longer yeah, here. Yeah. And please have a drink. And let's just make this like, for friends having a drink and it's all going to be fine, isn't it, John? And, it, yeah. and it's just all in the, just Keanu's eyes. He just like kind of looks down at the tumbler kind of momentarily. Mm. He does take the drink because obviously Aurelio's a friend from back in the day in mm. this murky universe that, you know, we, we kind of become part of. But it's a lovely little look and it just it's, sets up like I, this I, news I, is coming. I also feel like he, Aurelio's saying to him, you, you might want to kill me for this, so let's have a drink because I'm hoping you're not. But there's bad shit happened. It's a really loaded mm. pour of a drink. Yeah. There's a, you know, mm. it means so much on so many levels. Yeah, and Keanu yeah. does it in a look, which yeah. is great. And then already, what does he say? He goes, what are you going to do? And John answers the question with a statement that doesn't relate to the question. He goes, I need a ride. And that's his answer to the question, yeah. what are you going to do? Because you know what I'm going to do. Yeah. yeah, and then we cut to outside and the, and the kind of 1969, 1970, whatever his car yeah. is speeding away. And it's, yeah, I'm not it's a car like, man, so I couldn't describe the cars, but I believe yeah. the cars are very good. The cars are great. Alex, everything that happens in the red circle bar from the minute he enters till the minute he exits, mm. the whole chase through the nightclub where he's hunting Josef, brilliant. Some of the best action I've seen until mm. John Wick 2. Mm. Uh, for me, it's oh, um, shout out to my friend Zadie, who I've watched all these films with, and we've watched that scene a million times together. It's I just think it's perfect bit of screenwriting, you know, where the minimalism is what makes it work, and it's funny, uh, most valuable whatever. Uh, it's uh, Michael Nyquist as Vigo mm. is absolutely fantastic. But then you've got to look at, you know, what Leach and uh, Stahelski have done with this and be like, this is some, uh, this is action. You know, they reference, what do they reference? They referenced Ong Back and Tony Jaa in sure. Ong Back as a, as a good way of understanding what they wanted to do, which is show everything, show mm. all the action. So you as a viewer can see it actually happening, see the choreography and, it's Keanu Reeves, though. Mm. I, I, it's just, he's uh, he's a legend. And I think, yeah. you know, both behind the scenes and in front of the camera in this movie, he brought so much to it that has made this what it is and given us a franchise that, you know, I know you're not a fan of Parabellum, but I still like Parabellum. It's just right. a franchise that I just want to keep watching and watching forever and ever in a movie that I've watched in almost in the uh, dual numbers. Dave, MVW. Um, well, kind of what Alex has, has described there about the, the kind of fight scenes, I went into a bit more detail, really. And uh, so the most valuable whatever is the way in which John <laughs> and his very accomplished set of kind of stunt coordinator mates uh, go around disposing of, of one another. Um, and in no particular order, uh, <laughs> pencil, firearm with silencer, a dance floor, fishbowl, dagger, thrice, bedding, <laughs> the edge of a kitchen island, a sling, a drowning, machine gun, a toweling robe, a small one and a patio door it's like a dark version of generation <laughs> yes. a cuddly toy um so i just, so you know as alex said i think that there was this uh, well i Personally speaking, there was this this trope in action that came from maybe from Bourne and then Bond got into it where everything was really close up and pacey. Mm, yeah. And the fact that, and I hadn't really kind of noticed it, to be honest, um, the fact that you get to see all this stuff unfolding and the fact that, the, you know, the kind of dark conveyor belt of generation game is used so brilliantly across, you know, all of these scenes and they're, they're in all their glory and they are talented athletes and hand-to-hand mm. -hand combatters mm. and all that stuff makes it the most valuable thing. Props. Bosh. Chris? Um, pff, tricky. I'm glad you've said Keanu because 
as Derek said, he's the driving force behind this film. He, he added fuel to the fire, is how he put it, all the way through. So he is the most important aspect of this film. But, but... I've got well, to give it then to Michael Nyquist because... Partly because we've lost him as well. He, he passed away in 2017. And I just think we lost a real acting titan. And this, I'm so glad he got to play this role before, yes. before he was gone. Because he's, he is brilliant in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. But I could watch him all day play this character. Mm. So, yeah, just a shout out to him. A tribute to him. Like, what a villain. Nicely done. And um, what would you change if you could change anything? Well, we've already touched on it. I would, and it, it turns out it already exists. I would like to have seen a little bit more um, from the, the world before we saw... I'd like to see more from John's world before we entered into John Wick's world. And I think it would have been, it would have been nice to establish why everything's buried underneath mm. you know, the basement, sure. concrete floor, and how, wh whether his, you know, his late wife knew about his past. And you know, there are ways of establishing that. However, that said... The pace of the movie is one of its greatest yeah. things, and and I wouldn't want to detract from that. But it's difficult to want to change anything about John Wick. But if I had to, what I'm basically saying is I would want a little bit more. I'd want a little bit more Keanu. Yeah, and I think I was a bit flippant about the stuff under the house because I think it's symbolic. It's about him trying to build a new life on top of his old life. Literally, literally buried his past. Yeah, so it's it's good. Um, so I shouldn't be taking the piss. But actually, there was another bit of more of um John Wick that they wrote and they shot. Um, which is quite funny that they took out. So as he was healing, um, you know, around the time he got the dog, he, he started repairing books for a living. That's what he started doing. And so not only did they write that, Keanu went away and learned how to repair books and they shot all those scenes. So you could have had 10 minutes of John Wick repairing books. I quite and like the idea of David John Wick David likes to change books. his change. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, sat there in kind of little half moon glasses under a lamp with a, with a yeah. needle and thread. Oh, I quite like it. You know. He'd be good at it, wouldn't he? You actually touched on this, Chris. Mm. I, I think it's a real problem. I, I think that the the final fight. Mm, uh, I it's mine as well. It's uh, mine as well. They ran out of money. I get that. So obviously they, they did what they could. But I, I think even with money, the script isn't right for that final fight. Like for the whole movie, John Wick has been this unstoppable force. And you know, as good as Michael Nyquist is, at no point is Vigo a physical threat. So. The big bad, your final fight between him and Vigo offers nothing but us waiting for John to kill Vigo. Now, obviously, that's going to happen whatever they do, but you need Vigo to have something there that, like, ups the ante or puts John in jeopardy. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what John cares about anymore. Maybe if he'd... You a know, slightly kept... torn first edition of Harry Potter <laughs> and the Philosopher's Stones. Maybe if he kept Marcus alive, you know, like yeah. you, you need yeah. a hostage situation or, or, or something. Something that uh, makes you go, shit, I don't know that even John Wick can both get his revenge on Vigo and deal with X simultaneously. So I just feel like it's sort of... Well, we're trundling towards an inevitable conclusion when we should be at the highest point of the action in the film. So that's my problem. Yeah. Uh, with one uh, small uh, addition, I find it a little bit silly that we start the movie and he's got a beagle puppy 
And at the end of the movie, they've gone, well, this is the dog that's going to be with him for the rest of the film. So can we make it a proper John Wick scary dog? Because we can't have having him. It was, you just want him to have a whippet. I do want him to have a fucking whippet, yeah. <laughs> you look as ridiculous as you look with if a whippet. I had, if John Wick had a whippet <laughs> and I had a dog. whippet and I would dress him black and he was dressing black, people would be like, hello, here comes trouble. <laughs> I think that's a line from John Wick 3. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. <laughs> here comes trouble and Simon. <laughs> um, I have a question. I mean, if John Wick is the, the boogeyman... Um, everyone knows his name. Should he have a code name? Everyone knows him and recognises him and knows him by name. That's Except not very the good. Son, of course. Except, Except Joseph. Yes. Yeah. Everyone in New York knows who he is. We, we, should, we should have Joseph get his name wrong a few times. Isn't it? Oh, no, he's here. James Walk. Yabba <laughs> Yeager. James Walk. Baba Yabba Yeager. Um, son, I've told you his name so many times. I, I think I think that that just adds to it the... Does. It's part of the, the it, comic book fun of it. That the everyone, comic fun yeah. is... But it's also... It, I don't care if you know who I am you can't mm. mess with me no one's going to mess with me yeah. so my full identity's out and what's sometimes. to say John Wick is his real name mm. who knows so what's your change same as you I, I I just wrote down it needs to be a fair fight at the end there just needs to be something there because it is the it is the inevitable and maybe that's fine but I feel like there was a way of doing it to make it just yeah. a, a bit of jeopardy like in one of your favourite films Free Guy where the dude turns up my dude, sorry, sure. turns up. You need a big extra henchman who we'd maybe forgotten about earlier. Yeah, but then it's they forgot something. to put the villain in that scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the issue there. That was so, the issue there. Yep. Right. That is us done on John Wick. So, without further ado. Should we let Dave do a better job with the verdict than Vicky? Do you want to <laughs> say it's time for the verdict? It's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! What a pro. Oh, it's not as good as Vicky. Though. You know we're going to be billed for that, though. <laughs> <laughs> that was a scripted read. That wasn't just podcasting. I can do it in two other styles. And then leave in. No, 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 don't invoice us for three. Uh, right then, so uh, who's going first? Um, I think, oh, I don't know, Alex. What's the best way of doing this? I think you should go first. because OK, yeah, going. I think everyone knows which way I'm voting this week because I've forgotten to write down. I normally have notes for the verdict. But much as I like Man on Fire, um, John Wick is probably my favourite action film of all time. It's second favourite film of the last 10 years. Wow. Um, it's the film I will put on when I can't think what to put on. I just think it's masterful in its simplicity. And I just, every time I watch it, I get something out of it. It's such a blast to watch. Um, I love it, love it, love it. That's my pick for this week. Okay. Dave, why don't you go next? Well, um, I have gone, and I'm lit up now having appeared on this edition of the podcast, I know that I'm going to do it just to be slightly different from the two of you. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm going for Man on Fire. I, I think that... See, the problem with coming on this podcast is all of the things that I really love about a movie are, are then thrown up in my face. <laughs> um, and That's not, what we're here for. Not just randomly as well, backed up with actual facts and interview footage, uh, which is the most annoying thing. But I like the idea of, of, of this being based on a, on a successful novel um, and a, a relatively simple idea brought to life... Um, so brilliantly by Tony Scott and visually and I think the score is amazing I think you put Denzel into that and again still just blown away by Dakota Fanning's um, performance in this movie and you put all of those things together plus corruption and butt bombs and um, I think it does it for me and, and I, I am genuinely and this isn't obviously about kids and dogs by the way I'd like to point out that you can love both a great deal um, but I think that, that, that being a father and buying into that a little more it was the movie that brought 
brought me to tears and touched me more emotionally. Um, again, down to great performances. However, the film that I will watch next will be John Wick again, because I'm actually going to go home and watch John Wick after we finish here. Why not? Let's do it, to, let's do it together. <laughs> All right, so that is one vote for John Wick from Chris and one vote for Man on Fire from Dave, which means this is the final vote this week and we'll decide our winner. It's a very... Very close one. Look how much he loves it. He loves having the power. Man on Fire feels like a much more epic movie, full stop. I love the twists and I love the reveals throughout. But it does take a while to get going. There's a lot of swimming at the start. John Wick is a leaner movie. It gets into its revenge story a lot quicker. But, as we just discussed, it does run out of steam towards the end. The climactic fight is the weakest fight. Man on Fire, Denzel is met with very little in the way of resistance from the people he's after. He just catches them one after the other. But Wick... Yeah, it does meet resistance, which is more fun. It's a tough one, like them both, but I am going for the one in which the bad guys are dispatched in the most kinetic fashion possible and the winner is John Wick. Well played, John. It is. It's got to be John Wick. And also, it's a fucking dog. I can't not vote for the, so the dog. Bloke, the bloke with a kid voted for the one about the kid and the bloke with the dog. They are the same thing. <laughs> um, yeah, no, fair play. And, I, and it was really nice to be given an excuse to kind of revisit John Wick. And, it, and, I, and I enjoyed it immensely. And as I say, I'll be watching it again soon. But, but I just think... Pound for pound, Man on Fire is the better movie. But yeah, <laughs> I look well, I, when it isn't because it lost, <laughs> <laughs> and it's final now. You're right. You're right. Sorry. And again, I mean, look, I do think it, I, I, I think it, it's really close. I'm glad we did these movies together. But yeah, John Wick is the winner. Don't forget, though, if you disagree, you can have your say and tell us how right or wrong you think we got it when the listener poll goes live on Twitter very soon. That is at ClashBot on Twitter. You should check in with us there as much as possible. There's loads of stuff going on there. But uh, now we need to talk about next week's movies. So the clue I gave on Monday was love books. And the movies are... Yeah. Love books was the clue because both uh, of our uh, films feature romantic novelists, which means the films we're doing are Romancing the Stone versus Mm. The Lost City, both of which are available all over the place online. I think, uh, I certainly know that... uh, they're around. Just have fun looking for them. That's part of the journey. It's not. Uh, so, yeah, that is us done. Next week, your homework for the weekend, Romancing the Stone versus The Lost City. Ooh. I should say those are Vicky's choices. She's coming back with a vengeance next week with those choices. So those are her choices. Like I said, check them on Twitter and Instagram at Clash Bob. We're also on TikTok. Uh, we'll speak to you on Monday. Mm. Have a great weekend doing Romancing the Stone. Bye-bye for now. Thank you to Dave Berry. Yay. Thank you, guys. Listen thank to you, the everyone. Absolute Radio Breakfast Show. Thank you, thank you. Clash of the Titles is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.